Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm David Splawn. As David said, I've been here uh, a little over 20 years with my family um, and love this church and love being a part of it and be thankful for the opportunity to share with you this morning. Our passage this morning is going to come from Matthew chapter 13, so be finding that in your Bibles or if you're looking in the Pew Bible, it's 794 to make it easy. Matthew chapter 13, and this is the parable known as the parable of the sower. As is our tradition uh, that Chris is consistent with, I'd like to ask you to stand while we read the Word of God out of reverence for it. Uh, And as Chris likes to say, stand whether in body or in spirit. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. God, we just ask that we hear from you right now, that we hear your words, that we hear them, not only with our ears, but we hear them with our hearts, and that we accept them as your perfect word that we need to hear. Help us to hear. Help us to be honest about how these truths apply to our own hearts. In your name I pray. Amen. So I assume the parable of the sower is familiar to most people in the room. Uh, It is a a popular parable of Jesus. It is the first parable of Jesus. Um, We're going to take a few minutes to go through each of the elements of the parable And this is a parable that it's easy to put ourselves in the position of the sower right away and think that we're to, we put it, start thinking about these descriptions as descriptions of other people. But we need to think about them first as it relates to our own heart. We need to evaluate our own heart. So during this time, as we describe the elements of this parable, let's think about our own hearts and how we see ourselves in this parable. The first uh, character in this parable is someone described as a farmer. Uh, and in other translations, it's translated a sower, so someone who is sowing seeds, someone who is scattering seeds. Um, this is a parable where Jesus actually gives an explanation of the parable directly later in the chapter. So if you already closed your Bible, open it back up because we're going to be in 13, um, 1 through 9, what we just read, and then 19 through 23 is Jesus' own explanation of the parable. The sower is not uh, described overtly by Jesus in that part. He doesn't say exactly who the sower is. Um, So we will see that the sower can certainly and does include Jesus himself as the chief sower. Um, But we will hold for now on describing who is answering the question, who is the sower? Uh, So Jesus doesn't answer that overtly like he does most other elements of this parable. And I think that's interesting to note that he doesn't describe it overtly. And we'll come back to that towards the end uh, and address that question of who is the sower. So the next element in the parable is the seed. 
The seed is not described in Matthew's account, so don't look down there in the bottom of the chapter, but it is described in Mark and Luke, which also contain this parable, as the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Now, it's a given in this parable and in real farming, I assume, which I've never done, but that nothing grows from nothing. Things don't just grow from nothing. Something grows from something, namely from seeds. So there must be seed for something to grow. And in order for you to produce spiritual fruit, for anyone to produce spiritual fruit, the only seed is the word of God. So the only seed is the word of God. The seed of God's word is the only thing that can change men's hearts. So I think that is a key truth because we tend to think that our logic and our persuasiveness and the way we can talk or anything like that may be a key in changing people's heart. But the only thing that can change the hearts of men is the word of God. But this parable is primarily about the various types of soil. So most of the parable's text is given to the types of soil. And again, we want to look at that as it relates to our own hearts first before we start thinking of people we may know who we might put in these categories. So the soils describe the hearts of men. And the condition of each person's heart determines the effectiveness of how that seed grows. So the condition of each person's heart describes how effectively the word of God will grow in their heart. So let's look at each type of soil. The first one mentioned is the seed that fell along the path. And it said, as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Uh, Matthew 13, 19, where Jesus explains this, says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. So the seed along the path represents the hard heart. So the hard heart. Hard hearted people, when they hear the word of God, it often produces more hardness. So they hear the word of God, they've already got their mind made up about something, and it just produces more hardness. So you can think about people who fall in this category today, And you may think of people who are living in unrepentant sin and intentional sin. They're denying the reality of the Bible. They're denying that there will be a judgment for their sins. Those people are living in self-indulgence. But clearly in this passage, one of the groups being talked about were the religious folks, the Pharisees. They were the self-righteous. They were the people who thought they had it all together, that they didn't need any of the truth of God that Jesus was sharing with them. The self-righteous. And then I think it would also include the self-dependent. People who think they don't have a need. People who perhaps they're wealthy, perhaps they're powerful in worldly sense. They think they have no need. So they're hard to the truths of God's word. Let me ask you, is, has your heart ever been hard towards the things of God? Have you ever had a time in your life, a phase in your life, maybe a years of your life where your heart was just hard in resistance and rebellion against the things of God? And even in good times of your life, have you had times where overall maybe you're doing well spiritually, but times you're just hard. It's just blank. It doesn't come in. I think we all have had those times in our lives and maybe still have them occasionally. The next type of soil that's described is the 
the seed that fell on the rocky places. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. The explanation from Jesus in verse 20 and 21, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The rocky places represent a shallow heart. So people with shallow hearts tend to respond to the word of God with excitement, intrigue. They're interested in hearing about it. They may say positive things about it. But when things get tough, they fall away. So many in the crowds were probably like this. They had seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen him heal lame people, blind people. They had seen him make food out of nothing. And they wanted to maybe see the next miracle. They probably were intrigued by his teaching and were, were somewhat drawn to it. But when Jesus started talking about the cost of following him, they said, I don't think so. That's too much. So today, maybe we see people like that that want to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost them too much. People who attend church when it's convenient or as long as it makes them feel good. I didn't get anything out of that sermon. I'm not going back. People that are looking for what it does for them right now. People who like to talk about spiritual things, but there's no fruit in their life. Perhaps we can relate to having some soil of rocky places. Have you ever received the word of God with joy? Heard a sermon and said, I'm going to do better. And then... After a time, we fall back to where we were. We fall away from our good intentions. So maybe we can relate to having some rocks in our garden. The next category we definitely need to pay attention to. The seed that fell among the thorns. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Verse 22 explains, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So take note that this soil actually has plants growing up, but the thorns choke out the plants, making them unfruitful. So it's different than the prior two. The seeds in the soil, the plants growing, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. So the seed that fell among the thorns is the divided heart. Among people with divided hearts, the word of God may produce discouragement. They may be aware, they are aware of the word. They have some acknowledgement of the word being the truth of God. But they may be discouraged. They think it's not something they can live up to. They think it's something they've tried and failed at before and they don't want to fail again. They're like, I know that's what I should do, but I, I've failed before. They may have a mentality of discouragement. And surely there were many like this in the crowd that day. They had heard Jesus proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God. They were moved. They believed to some degree, but their loyalty didn't make it over the line that Jesus was calling them to, a full surrender of their life to him. Their loyalty remained with themselves, their family, with their work, with their with their selves. 
So we may not have to look too far for examples of people with thorns in their garden. Maybe most of us in this room have some thorns in our garden. So look at the two things that Jesus calls out there. Is anybody in here, at least sometimes, overcome by the worries of life? That's one of the two things he calls out, the worries of life. Do you have a desire for control? Do you wish you could control more than you can control? Do you think about what if this thing happens? What if this goes bad? What if this goes away? What if this relationship changes? What if this job thing changes? Thinking of the worst. You're thinking, and I don't control this. And that worry obsesses you. The other thing, are you distracted by the deceitfulness of wealth? No, it says the deceitfulness of wealth. Do you have this insatiable desire for more? It always more. You get thing that you thought you wanted and it's just more. You want more. You're always comparing yourself to others or somebody's got more than me. Somebody's got a bigger house than me, a nicer car than me, a whatever it is. You're comparing yourselves to others. It's deceitfulness. It's empty. It will not satisfy because it cannot satisfy. So what's pulling at your heart for loyalty? What is competing with Jesus for the rightful position on the throne of your heart? Those are thorns. Are they choking the effectiveness of the word of God in your life? Are they choking it out, making it unfruitful? Anyone feeling like they need to have some thorns pruned? Last set. Still other seed fell on good soil. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus explains in verse uh, 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Finally, okay, this is where we want to be, right? We want to be the good soil. We all want to be good soil. The good soil is the soil of the disciple's heart. The disciple's heart, the disciple, when they hear the word of God, they receive it with joy. It brings joy, it brings encouragement, and it brings fruit. Let's take a second to look at how this soil is described and how it is not described. The soil is described simply as good. The only other word that is used in the Bible to describe it is fruitful, good and fruitful. It does not say that it is free from hard places, nor free from stony patches, nor free from thorns. Matthew Henry, a famous commentator of the Bible, puts it this way. That which distinguished this good ground from the rest was, in one word, fruitfulness. He does not say that the good ground has no stones in it or no thorns, but there were none that prevailed to hinder its fruitfulness. Stones or thorns may be found in the good soil of a true believer's heart, but such obstructions do not finally prevent him from bearing fruit. Isn't that a relief? For all of us that have stones and thorns in our garden, that we don't have to have a perfect garden. We have to allow God to clean our garden well enough for it to be productive. So let's take a second to consider why Jesus was telling this parable and what he is telling us to do about it. So this is an interesting parable in that it only contains one instruction. So all of that description of the seed and the sower and the soils, and it gets down to one instruction. He who has ears, let him hear. So that sounds pretty simple, right? Just hear. 
But I don't think it's that simple. When he says here, and this word is used quite a lot in the Bible, here, it means listen, pay attention, accept it, submit to it, and obey it. So it's not enough just to hear it, but we have to hear it with our hearts, and then we have to hear it with our feet. We have to obey it. So we have to hear, we have to listen, we have to accept, we have to submit, we have to obey. Do you find it difficult to hear from God sometimes? Like to be honest with such an evaluation of this, like what is the condition of my heart as being described in this parable? It's hard to hear the truth of God's word, even for believers, because we have a covering of sin. We live in a thorny world. We have kind of sin entangling us all the time. And we look at the origin of that. It comes from the fall of man. We live in a fallen world. So I think we can put this one on the screen. Genesis uh, 3, 17. We see the origin of these thorns in our lives comes from the curse of mankind. So this is immediately following man's original sin. And God comes and gives this curse to mankind. Uh, Genesis three seventeen, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit, From the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now, I will admit I was originally drawn to this passage just because it contains the word thorns. Um, but then as I dwelt on this passage, I said, this is exactly the reality that we live in. Because of the curse of man, we live in a world full of thorns and thistles. That is where we are. Life is not easy. Being a follower of Christ is not easy. The curse of mankind makes life difficult. So we will have trouble. Jesus promises his disciples. But The curse of God is not primarily about punishment. It is primarily about leading us back to our dependence on him. So what did Adam and Eve begin their error with? But an unbelief that God would provide for them, that God would give them the very best. And when we doubt the very same thing, just like they did, we get led astray into thorns and thistles. That's exactly what happens in our life. When we doubt God's goodness, when we deny his sovereignty over our lives, then we are led astray into thorns and thistles. Life gets more difficult. So God is showing Adam and Eve, hey, you can't do this without me. You can't do this without me. And he's showing that same thing to us, that we absolutely must depend on him. We cannot do it without him. So with this hopeless situation, we cannot do it. Without him, how do we have any hope of having a heart that is fruitful? Still, many of us will think, well, I just need to work on my heart. I need to work on my garden. I need to till it. I need to pray more, study more, do more. And eventually, our efforts would be shown to be shallow or choked out by thorns. We cannot do it on our own. So what do we do? Glad you asked. The answer is in John chapter 15. Of what we do. John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1. The answer is. We must call the gardener. Jesus says. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit. He prunes so it will be even more fruitful. 
You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Note a couple of key truths from this passage. Number one, the source of fruit bearing is the vine. Jesus is the vine. The source of fruit bearing is the vine. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the second truth, the key to fruit bearing is abiding in the vine. Now, the NIV that I just read from uses the word remain instead of abide. But I like abide better because it just has a connotation of rest, where we can just rest in God because he will provide what we need. We don't have to work. So abide means to stay to remain, to stay, to endure, to wait, to rest in the vine, in his goodness and his provision. We don't have to work harder. It won't help. Just abide and you will be more fruitful. God will cause the growth in you. So, and fruit bearing is guaranteed. Don't you like guaranteed things? That last verse that I read, verse 5, says, you will bear much fruit promise of Jesus. You will. Those who abide in the vine will bear much fruit. So let's take a quick assessment of our own hearts. From the soils that we looked at earlier, is your heart hard because of pride or self-righteousness? Even part of it? Call the gardener. Repent and turn to God. He will give you a heart transplant. You know heart transplants in the Bible? Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Your heart's hard? There's the answer. Ask God, ask God for a new one. Are you struggling with the rocky soil of shallow faith? Call the gardener. Go deeper in God's word. Dwell in it. It is what you need for nourishment. Abide in it. Abide in God's word and his promises. Look for those promises in the Bible like you will bear fruit. And call God on him. He will deliver on it. Take a step of faith that you see God leading you to this in accord with his word. And you will see that he is faithful. And now there's thorns in our lives. Are those thorns choking out your spiritual life? Making it less effective? Call the gardener. Ask God to prune those thorns. It's kind of a trick. We've we got to ask him to prune them. We've got to allow him, we've got to submit those things over to him. He will take the care of them. He will cut them off. Pruning is likely to hurt, but it will work. He will take them out. And finally, are you seeing some fruit in your personal spiritual life? I hope so. Galatians 5 tells us what that looks like in each person's life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you seeing those things in your life? Are you seeing a multiplication of those things in your life? Would you like to see more? Call the gardener. Abide in Jesus. Soak in his nourishment and you will be more fruitful. So hopefully we've each had an honest assessment of our own souls, of our own hearts. And let's transition back to that question, who is the sower that I left hanging in the beginning? Remember that Jesus didn't give an overt answer to that and that we acknowledge that Jesus himself is the chief sower. But Jesus is telling his disciples in this explanation 
and by extension, you and I as believers, go and be sowers. We are all called to be his sowers. We are all called to sow the word of God, to scatter it generously. But Jesus is telling his disciples through this parable, this isn't going to be easy. Many people will not respond. Many people will look like they believe and then they'll fall away. Others will make some progress, but ultimately get choked out by the cares of the world. But some will believe and be saved. And likewise, as we put it in context of ourselves here at Meadowbrook and our focus on evangelism right now, some people that we share the gospel with will be will be harsh towards us. Some people will be coldly indifferent. Some people will dismiss us. Some people will respond positively, but only if we help them make help them feel better that day. And then some people will say, you know, that that's that's a great thing for you, but I just really don't have time for that right now. The thorns of their life have overtaken them. But some will respond with the joy of salvation. Some will, promised by Jesus. So Jesus clearly commands all believers to go and be sowers. We're familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you even to the very end of the age. Very straightforward command to go and be sowers, to go and make disciples. And it is guaranteed to work. And it will build your faith in the process. Go and be sowers. Now, this past week, I had the joy and the pleasure of seeing the real life proof, but I probably should say the real eternal life proof of fruit bearing taking place. So a man in my workplace, um, I would describe as a an honest skeptic. He is a great guy, nice guy, ethical guy, no, you know, everything. But he just really had questions about things. He was open to talking about them, and he just never submitted his mind, his will, his heart, his life to the Lord. He had never surrendered his life to the Lord. He's a good guy. Then last week, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. And it was undeniable. Everything clicked for him. Everything, all these little seeds over a lot of years all came together. And he kind of saw how God was working that in his life for years. 30 years old this man is. And he finally saw it all come together. He had heard the word. But now he believed. Now he understood. And fruit was born. So how many hundreds of seeds were scattered over 30 years? And he's actually, he and I talked about this. It's like all these little things that God had ordered in his life that he now sees that he didn't see before. How many imperfect sowers contributed to that? So praise be to God, many scattered seed, many others watered it, but it was God who caused it to grow and now This man is a brother in Christ and will be in eternity with him. It will work. In conclusion, you don't have to be perfect to share the gospel. You just have to be obedient. We just need to abide in the vine of Jesus and his word. We need to trust him as we trust him to take steps of faith in accord with his word. 
he will reward us with an ever-increasing fruitful life, both in our personal life and in our influence for his kingdom. Call the gardener. He's waiting for your call. Let's pray. God, thank you how you love us so much that you have scattered generously the seeds of your word in our heart through many people's voices and through your word and through your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Help us to be honest with where we are today and help us just to abide in you and in your word and in your promises to take uh, take that to heart and to trust in them. And as we do, that you'll reward us with fruit in our life spiritually and as we take steps of faith to share your word with others, that we would see that fruit come uh, come to life and come to eternal life. Thank you for how you lead us in that way and how you love us in Jesus' name. Amen.